0: good morning welcome to Renaissance my name is Chris and it's good to uh, have all of you here today and before we jump into this third week of the series uh, titled hashtag winning I just want to share just, uh, just something personally that's that I'm navigating through in my life right now uh, this last week has been just one of those extremely chaotic emotionally intense weeks uh, I know all of us have those uh, at moments maybe your your week was the same. Is mine, maybe different specifics, but still one of those kind of emotionally chaotic, intense weeks. And uh, Monday, it kind of started off, Monday our student ministry went to camp. And uh, uh, before I came to Renaissance, I've been in uh, a student ministry pastor in student ministries for 20 plus years. And so I've taken thousands and thousands of teenagers to camp before. And it's one thing to take other, other people's teenagers to camp. It's a whole different experience as a dad... Sending my oldest to student camp. And it was this bizarre emotional experience as I'm like, I'm watching her get on the bus. I'm like, no, she's my little baby. And now she's like, she's my little, very tall baby. <laughs> like she's growing up. And so I had that mo- moment Monday as uh, uh, we sent her to camp. And she had an amazing week. And uh, uh, God did some significant things in her life. But it was still one of those moments. Uh, so that was Monday, Wednesday. Uh, I successfully crossed the uh, forty-year-old line, and so I'm now forty and a few days. And yes, I did it. Uh, I am now an adult, so you know I I finally matured into that 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 range. So I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, my wife asked me, "Well, how does it feel?" I'm like, uh, "I feel like uh, I'm a day older." So <laughs> that's where I am. So that was that was Wednesday. Uh, also Monday, when we uh, sent our kid to camp, our oldest daughter to camp, we realized, uh, because my wife and I are extremely wise, we realized that we pawned off our oldest to go to camp. I mean, we encouraged her to go to camp. And then we're like, wow, we're without one kid, so if we got rid of the second child, we could have a week by ourselves. <laughs> Score. And so um, we dropped our youngest off at my wife's sister's house, and then we, you know, had carved out a few days. And every year we try to get, you know, four or five days together just as a couple, as husband and wife every year. And so we had that set aside for this last week. And uh, on Monday, my dad called, and, uh, and he wasn't feeling real well, and so he had gone into the doctor's office, and I knew that was happening. And so uh, I got a phone call Monday evening, and uh, uh, he said, hey, I, I think they uh, uh, have diagnosed that I have hepatitis A. And uh, if you know anything about hepatitis A, it's curable. You know, you just kind of have to get through that process. And so he goes, that's what the doctor said, it's hep A. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So I went to bed Monday night going, no, oh, it's hep A. Tuesday I got a phone call, and uh, he goes, they don't think it's hepatitis A, but they're not sure what it is. And uh, and so that kind of, we kind of turned a, a new corner to go, okay is it more serious? And I mean, we've all lived through these moments, right? You know, the questions, the wonder, the concern, the lack of control, all of those emotions. And uh, by Thursday, uh, uh, all the, the results had come back and uh, uh, he's been diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer. And um, and uh, I know many of you um, have either personally uh, navigated through this or maybe walked beside you know, a loved one through this. And you know, it's those moments that just, it, your whole world, world shifts a little bit. And, uh, you know, the downside is obvious, uh, uh, but there's a lot of upsides right now. And one of the upsides is they think that they've caught it very early on. if you know anything about, well, cancer in general, but especially pancreatic cancer, that the earlier they catch it, the better. And so uh, they think they've caught it really early on. That's an upside. Another upside is, you know, we've just had some people rally around with us, and, um through some people, um, we were able to uh, get him into uh, Sloan uh, Medical Center in the city, which is one of the top uh, cancer hospitals in the nation. And uh, it was just a huge blessing. You know, Friday we made, uh, Thursday we started making phone calls, by Friday uh, they had a confirmed appointment. And you know, I tell you for us, you know, being a, a quick 30 minute drive or two hour drive, depending on, the, into the city. Uh, You know, it's a huge blessing, and we're so thankful, so blessed that we had some people that just stood up and said, okay, we're going to do whatever we can to get your dad the best medical care, and I tell you, that's a huge blessing as well, and um, what I ask for you guys for is a couple things. One is just pray. My dad's name is Lauren, and if you forget that, uh, that's okay. God knows his name, so uh, God's smart like that, and uh, pray for him, and, uh, you know, pray specifically that uh, he'll be healed. But, man, we all know uh, cancer is one of those things, right? And for all the medical expertise and the experts that are going to be surrounding him, I, you know, you, you walk into things like this, seasons of life like this, where you want to be so optimistic, and we are very optimistic, and our God is powerful, but also understanding that, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, sometimes God's plan and God's will uh, doesn't line up with our wishes. And I just don't know what to pray for. So I ask that you pray that, that he's healed. I really do, I pray with that. But you know the other thing I ask that you pray for is that we just walk together as a family. And that uh, even in the moments where our faith is, uh, shakes and our faith rumbles and our faith seems thin that we'll just lean into God's strength. And uh, my dad is an amazing man of God. And uh, I, I am who I am today. Um, you know, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, because of my death Not just because of the words that he has spoken over the years, but the life that he has lived. And he's lived a life seeking to follow God in all things. And, uh, and so uh, we, we go into this journey uh, with complete expectation that he's going to be healed. But also understanding that uh, there's so many things in life that are outside of our control. And that we just want to walk with God through this. And so just pray for uh god's peace uh my dad has and mom have had up days the last three or four days, and they've had some difficult moments and uh which you can all expect and uh so I ask that you pray for them uh in this journey and uh also uh pray for me that uh maybe I can get through a message today <laughs> in the coherent thought process and so uh no expectations that I will, but we'll see what happens. Uh, so let's pray and I'll take that awkward turn into uh, a message. Lord, I thank you and uh, I thank you for our church family and the encouragement has been overwhelming and the support already has been overwhelming and so many blessings as you've brought people into our lives that have walked through this path, um, people that know what we're going to uh, be navigating through because they have walked in these footsteps. Uh, To know that, um, I know there's probably people here right now who are walking through it. And uh, Lord, I pray for my dad. Specifically that he will be healed. But Lord, even more than that. That his faith and our faith will just be strengthened as we walk with you through this journey. that even in the moments where our faith is shakes and our faith rumbles and it feels like we can't go on that lord we will just continue to lean into you that we'll look to you pray for my mom what a strong woman she is and lord just give her strength and peace as well for my sister for myself um But, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a church that is so committed to walking beside people. Lord, today, in this moment, I pray that you'll give me clarity of thought. Because you have a message that needs to be heard. And so, Lord, I just pray that even in in my weakness, in my moment of... Um, uncertainty in my moment of uh, murkiness that lord you you, your words will be uh, heard loud and that your words will be clear in your name i pray amen okay here's the awkward left hand turn into a message and uh if you're a guest with us today hey welcome to renaissance and (laughs) seriously welcome to renaissance it's not always like this uh so uh week three of a hashtag winning And I I really worked on uh, the last couple days, how do I turn out of that moment into this thought, and there's just no way to turn uh, from that moment into that thought. So uh, we are in week three of uh, uh, what's called the Beatitudes, and it's Jesus' kind of formula to say, hey, these eight Beatitudes, when you live them out, when they uh, get rooted inside your heart, you're going to win in life. And in the formula, these eight beatitudes, is, it's completely countercultural. They're not going to be intuitive, they're not going to be easy. But if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to live a life of contentment and true joy, not fleeting happiness, but true joy, and if you want to live a life uh, of peace, these eight attributes need to take root inside your heart and live out through you. Now, if you're a Christ follower with us today, just know that all eight of these are essential or necessary. Jesus didn't say, uh, pick the ones you like and the ones you don't like just kind of discard. And to be very transparent, the one that we're going to look at today, I personally, if I could pick and choose, this would be one of those that I would say, yeah, I I don't like this one. And maybe for some of you today, as soon as we get into it, you're going to like, yeah, I, I don't think I like this one. I don't. Think, I want to live this one out. I don't think this one's practical. But Jesus said, no, no, you can't pick and choose. If you're a Christ follower, all eight of these beatitudes should be attributes, should be characteristics of how you're living your life. And it starts on the inside, in your heart, in your soul, and they work their way out externally. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, there's two things that are, I think, really beneficial for you on this uh, eight-week journey as we go through the beatitudes. First of all is this. Is these eight beatitudes, these eight... Uh, kind of uh, attributes really reflect who Jesus is so you're going to get a great picture of Jesus not what other people have said about Jesus maybe not some of these other things you've read about Jesus or your perceptions but you're really going to get a a sense of who Jesus truly is because all eight of these give an amazing picture of Jesus Christ the the second thing is this Uh, If you're like me, you've probably encountered uh, uh, other Christians, other Christ followers, and maybe you've encountered some that have left kind of a bad taste in your mouth. And maybe you've even thought, if that's what Christianity is all about, if that person reflects Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Have you had an experience like that? And in this series, you're going to get to hear from Jesus what Jesus says Christ followers should should look like how they should live their life understanding that we're all human we're all imperfect this is how Christ followers should live their life and so we're in the third one this week if you missed the previous two weeks you can jump online and listen to those or watch those I'd encourage you to do those but we're going to just jump into this one and right away I'm sure you're going to feel a little tension because this is what Jesus said blessed are the meek now I don't know for you but when that word meek I mean could you imagine someone walking up to you and and them saying to you wow you are so meek (sighs) well right just just that word you're like who wants to be meek like that's not an attribute that you want to aspire to it's like wow yay they called me meek you don't if you have kids, you know, like, hey, kids, I, I hope that, you know, when you go out on that soccer field, you're just going to be meek, right? For me, when I hear the word meek, the first word that comes to my mind is the word weak, right? If you like Jesus says, blessed are the weak. The weak? Who wants to be weak? Who wants to be that person? I go to the gym, and when I go in the gym, I, I, I have, I've set the bar low. Uh, The high high bar is, you know, it's like I'm not walking in there to be the strongest guy in the gym. And it's just, it's not not possible because there's guys in the gym and their biceps are like the size of my leg. And, uh, you know, I just said I'm never going to be that guy. I think my wife's a little disappointed, but I'm like, I'm just never going to be that guy. But I don't want to be the weakest guy. I don't know if you've ever thought, maybe these are just bad thoughts in my mind, but I walk in the gym, and I walk past someone, and I'm like, really, buddy, put a few more pounds on that bar. You can do it, right? Like, I don't want to be that person sitting there on the bench press, you know, and someone's like, really, add five pounds. (laughs) You don't want to be the weakest person in whatever you do in your job or if you're in school or whatever you do throughout your week. You don't want to be the weak person. You don't want to be the weak link on the team. You don't want to be the person someone's talking about, going, man, really? Do we have to have him? Do we really have to have her? I don't want to call him. I don't want to ask her. I don't don't want that person. You don't want to be the weak person. You know, other words for meek include some of these. Timid, gentle, humble, tame, mild, unambitious, docile, spiritless, broken, and my favorite, wimpish. You know what I mean? Can you imagine reading, reading that in the Bible? Blessed are the wimpish. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. I now feel motivated, you know, to, to, to aspire to that level. I mean, if you work in finance, can you be meek? If you run a company or division, can you be meek? If you interact with the PTO at your kid's school, can you be meek? I mean, driving from 10 lanes down to the only two lanes open, going through the Lincoln Tunnel, can you be meek as buses are crushing in on you and that one car won't let you over and you're just sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Can you be meek? Can you, can you be meek going Christmas shopping? And by the way, 163 days until Christmas. <laughs> Seriously. So you have 162 days to shop. Can you be meek? You think about this, blessed are the meek. So what is meek? I found this in, uh, in Mary and Wessler's dictionary. They had this line. They said, like most other things, meekness is best practiced in moderation. <laughs> is that great? I'm like, okay. That, that doesn't help me as much. And what's interesting is Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Now, blessed are uh, those who are considering maybe trying out to possibly become meek. Or blessed are those who have practiced meekness to a percentage of their daily life. Or blessed are those that um, might one day think about being meek. He said blessed are the meek. So what does meek mean? What does it mean to literally mean to be meek? Because I don't think it's weak. So I started studying and researching. I came across one theologian, and uh, he wrote this. The Greek word for meek is the most difficult word in the New Testament to translate. I'm like, great. And no wonder I have so many questions. And maybe you've read the Beatitudes before, and you're like, what does meek mean? It's one of the most difficult words to translate. Aristotle. He framed the same Greek word for meek, and he he kind of... Uh, painted it this way, that uh, to be meek is between two extremes. He said on one side uh, is to not be angry at all. On the other extreme is to be angry without reason. And to be meek is somewhere in between zero anger and unreasonable anger. And it's right in between And that you can be angry... At the right time, to the right situation, to the right degree. And Aristotle said that's what meek is. As you read further about what this Greek word for meek means, you find out that there's a component that is humility. It's a component of being meek, but it's not just meekness isn't just being humble. Gentleness is another component of being meek, but again, it's just a component. It's just one piece of being meek. But there's this whole other idea of this controlled strength. And I think that's what Aristotle was trying to get at. Is There's these extremes and meekness comes down into the middle. He framed it with anger, how you respond to a situation. But there's this control where, yeah, you can be angry, but yet... At the right time, the right place, to the right degree, there's this controlled strength that comes to this idea of being meek. Go back to week one of the Beatitudes. The first one uh, was blessed are the poor in spirit. And the whole idea is, is truly understanding who God is. And when you understand who God is, And that God is sovereign, and God is all-powerful, and God is holy. And when we understand, we're not. We understand. And we put God number one, and we become number two. That's That's poor in spirit. Saying, okay, God, I want to control, but you're in control. God, I want to have all the power, but no, you're God, you're sovereign. God, I think I have the best plan, but no, God, you're God, and your plans are always perfect. It's reorientating your whole life to look at God and putting God number one. The next week, we looked at blessed are those who mourn, because when you start looking at God, and when you start putting God number one, when you start walking behind God, not in front of God, You start looking at God's holiness, and when you start looking at God's holiness, you start to realize the darkness of our hearts. That's that's what it means. Blessed are those who mourn, when they view God and realize, oh, not not as we compare our lives to other people. We're good at that. It's like at least I'm not like that person. At least. I don't talk like that person in the least. My actions aren't like that person. God's like, no, don't look at other people. God says, look at, look at me. And when we look at God, then we start to really realize the darkness of our hearts. Blessed are those who mourn. And those two beatitudes are very internal. But when it comes to blessed are the meek, it starts internally. But this is the one That goes from being inside of you and it comes out externally. It's how we respond to people. It's how we interact with people. There's a story uh, in the Old Testament that I think paints this amazing picture of what it means to be meek. Because remember meekness is gentleness. Yes, it's a component and it is humility. Yes, it's a component, but yet There's this idea of this restraint, this controlled strength with how you interact with people. God had uh, tapped David on the shoulder to be the next king. But God said, David, you're going to be king, but not yet. Which is a horrible waiting period, right? I mean, you can be king, which means all the power, the best food, the best accommodations. I mean, you're king and God said you will be king David but not yet and so David was in this holding pattern and while he was in this holding pattern King Saul finds out that David's going to be the next king and if you're King Saul and you found out that someone else was going to take your throne you'd probably be a little perturbed so King Saul went out to kill David because Saul thought hey if I get rid of David then I can uh, be king longer So King Saul gathers his army, he goes after David, David runs, because he's smart like that, he runs with a small group of men, and we come to this this point in the story where David is hiding in the cave, because King Saul uh, and his entire army were down kind of in this valley. They didn't know where David was, but they thought he was maybe around in that region, and so David's literally in this cave hiding, and he can see Saul and all of his armies in the valley below. And one day, Saul uh, had to do something that all of us have to do multiple times a day. He had to go to the bathroom. Seriously, it's in the Bible. And so Saul uh, goes up into this cave to do his business. And uh, he takes his sword off and he takes his robe off. He grabs a newspaper. I mean, he's in his moment. and, uh, And he's doing his business. And in that cave, David was further back in the dark. Think about this moment. I mean, awkward for Saul if he knew what was going to happen. But think about this moment: David's in the cave with his sword. I, I can imagine his hands on the sword, and David's thinking to himself, "Right now, I, I could cut off the king's head and become king." I mean, Dave, David—he's been on the run. He's been fearing for his life. He's been eating scraps of food. He's been sleeping in cold, hard caves, and he's thinking to himself. By tonight, I can sleep in the king's bed. I can eat a king's feast. I don't have to be on the run fearing for my life because I will control the army. I have no power, but by tonight, I could have all the power. All I have to do is pull my sword, and with one stroke, I can become king. But here's what David knew. God said in his timing. And God said, not yet. Not like this. Can you imagine how difficult it was for David. I mean, just put yourself in David's shoes. In one stroke, two seconds. He's now king. But he doesn't do it. You see, I think that's the picture of blessed are the meek. it's this whole idea of controlled strength this whole idea of restraining your natural human sinful reactions to people and saying no I'm not going to i want to but i shouldn't you see i think in that moment david showed meekness and it takes so much strength to show Meekness. It takes so much strength to be meek. Well, the first part of this is probably uh, challenging enough. But the second part that I think is even more challenging. When Jesus said this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, we have to go back 2,000 years. Jesus is sitting on this mountainside. Talking to a Jewish audience. And not only is Jesus talking to this Jewish audience. But they're sitting in the middle of a Roman occupied and controlled territory. And beyond them sitting in in the middle of this Roman occupied and controlled territory. Guess what? It's Israel. I mean generation after generation after generation. Armies, nations have come in. Egypt, come in, take them, they're in captivity. Babylon, the Syrians, you name the group. They have gone through generations of stronger nations coming in and demolishing their cities and taking them into captivity. And could you imagine this Jewish audience sitting there Listening to Jesus going, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus, take a history lesson. The meek? The Egyptians weren't meek. They were powerful. The Babylonians weren't meek. They were powerful. The ser- come on, Jesus, just open a history book or scroll. Like, come on, right? The meek... Don't inherit the earth. It's the powerful that inherit the earth. It's the strong that inherit the earth. It's aggressors that inherit the earth. We're sitting in occupied territory because Rome, we the aggressors. They're the powerful. You think about it in today, in our context today, it's the same thing specifics are different but i don't know what you do i don't know what your daily life is but i mean when you think about this right, you don't think that the meek are going to to increase in their job responsibility it's, it's who's going after it it's the strong that thrive in companies it's the powerful It's those people that can find out how to work through and lead through a system that will step over and on top of people. They become successful meek. Specifics are different 2,000 years later, but it's the same issue, right? So what's Jesus trying to say? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So we go back to this whole uh, essential part of this entire series, the Beatitudes. Blessed are, Jesus is saying, for you to experience joy, true joy, not fleeting happiness, true joy. For you to experience true contentment here on this earth, these are the things to live out. I think Jesus gets right into this in this moment found in Matthew chapter 16. I think he's going to explain what it means to inherit the earth. Jesus started talking about later in his ministry journey about that his life was going to come to an end, that he was going to die. And think about just the friction within, especially the apostles, those, that group of guys that Jesus kind of handpicked to be his closest followers because they all thought that Jesus had come to be this earthly king to raise up an army to go against Rome. And then Jesus starts talking about dying. Can you imagine just being one of the 12 apostles going, wait, 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 wait you're going to be kings? No, you can't die. That's not how the story ends, Jesus. The story ends with you being on the throne and us conquering Rome. Like, the story doesn't end with you dying. And so Jesus starts talking about this more. And one day Peter uh, Literally pulls Jesus aside and says, no, Jesus, you're not going to die. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. I'm not going to allow it to happen. Can you imagine that moment? And Jesus is like, Peter, it's outside of your control. No, really, Jesus, I'm not going to. I'm going to die. No, right? It's back and forth. And then Jesus said this. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul?" Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Yeah, the powerful, they can gain the whole world. On human standards, on a human scale. Jesus doesn't care about that, right? It all comes down to the condition of our heart, the condition of our soul. And Jesus say, blessed are those for you to find joy and peace and contentment both on this earth and forevermore. It's about how you interact with people. And yes, maybe you won't gain everything that you think you should gain on this earth. But you're going to gain so much more because of the condition of your heart. There's these two images of Jesus in the Bible. And one's found in John chapter 10. And it's this powerful image of Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus is talking about himself. And Jesus is saying that, you know, I am the good shepherd. And I know the sheep and the sheep know me. And that I know the father and the father knows me. And that I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. It's this powerful picture. And I think it's one of those extremes, when we go back to Aristotle, and Aristotle saying there's two extremes, and I think on one side of this this extreme is Jesus as a good shepherd. And over the, the, the last couple thousand years, uh, artists and, uh, have painted and sculpted this image of Jesus as the good shepherd. The earliest uh, painting we have of this is uh, uh, dated back to the mid-third century. And... Uh, uh, and uh, <coughs> And it was found in the the catacombs of Priscilla, and it's this image of Jesus as a good shepherd. And I think it's such a powerful picture of who Jesus is. When it comes to this idea of him being meek, but yet there's this other side, right? There's humility and gentleness, that's part of being meek. But there's this other side of this controlled strength, this absolute restraint where it takes more power to control your response than just to let it go. So what I want to do is read for you another picture of Jesus. I mean, this picture of him being the good shepherd is found in John 10.10, but there's this this other one found in Revelation chapter 1, which I think sets the other extreme of who Jesus is. And John has been exiled onto the island of Patmos, and uh, he gets this vision, this revelation of what's to come. And these—this is what he first sees. Right when this vision comes to him, this prophecy comes to him from God. This is what he sees. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, "Write on the scroll what you see, and send it out to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna." Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he's going to describe what he sees. And as I read this description, I just want you to look at this picture of him being the good shepherd. And I think in between those two, we're going to really understand what it means to be meek. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and as white as as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look. I'm alive forever and ever. I mean, so many times, and it's appropriate, so many times people picture Jesus as this very meek and mild, sheep-holding guy. And that's, that's an aspect of who he is. But Jesus also is a risen king. The risen king who conquered the grave will come back one day. I thought to myself, blessed are the meek. But how do we live that out? How do we show controlled strength? This idea of restraining how we interact with people. Because remember, meekness starts in the heart, but it's, it comes out externally. And it's how we interact with each other. And what does this look like? Or how do we uh, daily you know, kind of focus on being meek? And so I wrote a couple quick thoughts that I want to share with you in closing. This is, this is how I'm discovering to be meek. Uh, and this list could be so much longer. The first word I wrote down, I wrote this really big. I wrote the word pause. That what I have found, that when I've come into situations, leadership situations or marriage interactions or uh, father-child interactions, you name the interaction. When I found myself coming into a situation and I feel myself wanting to respond without restraint. You know those moments? That email you want to fire back, that comment that you just want to fly, I mean it would feel so good to say. In those moments when you push pause. And the second part is as as important as the pushing pause. When you push pause and simply say, God, how should I respond? When you do this, you're going to feel this incredible tension. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to feel the tension. Maybe you've tried this before. Because when you push pause and you invite God into that moment, however you want to respond in that moment, when you invite God in and say, God, how should I respond? I mean, I think about David in that cave with a... Hand on his sword going, I want to, I want to. And God's like, not yet, not yet. Can you imagine that tension? But God, I could eat like a king tonight. Not yet, not yet. When you push pause and you invite God in, God, how should I respond to this email? How should I respond in this leadership situation? How should I respond in this conversation? How should I? You're going to feel this tension from what you want to do and what God's telling you to do. In that moment, if you listen to God, you're going to experience what it means to be meek. One of the most powerful things you can do in marriage, in dating, as a parent, in leadership, in relationships, is when you feel like you want to respond and power up, and maybe you feel justified in your response, but if you push pause and invite God into that moment, He's going to reveal to you how to respond. And you're potentially not going to want to follow him. That's where the tension comes. But God, I want to. God's going to say, no, no, don't. But God, I'm justified. Yeah, you might be, but don't. Blessed are the meek. Show restraint. Which leads to the second thing I wrote down. I wrote the word uh, forgive. Forgive. Because there's going to be moments where if you push pause and you feel that and definitely if you don't push pause and you just go with your human response when you don't show controlled strength you're going to hurt someone. You know what a powerful moment is for you to extend and just ask for forgiveness. Not with clarifiers. Not with but I was having a bad day. Right? As soon as you say but I was having a bad day it means that you're not really sorry, right? They're excuses, but when you extend forgiveness, or when you say to someone, please forgive me, period, no clarifiers, what happens to that person internally, but also what happens within you, because the next time you come to that moment where, where where you want to respond out of your humanness, You're going to think about having to go to a person and saying, please forgive me, period. Third thing I wrote down is to empower others. Lord Acton uh, uh, famously said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. You know what, as we give power away to people, as you empower people, as you raise people up, whatever that means for your context, as you shine the light on other people, guess what it does? It keeps limited power in your hands. One of my goals always in leadership is raise other people up and get them out in front. On one side it's just great leadership to do that. On the other side, guess what? It just keeps power out of my hands. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Empower others. Then I wrote uh, serve others. You know, Jesus said, I have not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. Jesus understood the power of serving others, the power of putting the towel over your arm, the power of doing things for people, even when you don't want to do those things. As you serve people, guess what happens? So starts to change your heart. And the last thing I wrote down was to celebrate other people, to encourage other people, to lift other people up, especially those people that you don't like. I know we're a church, and you're like, oh, I thought we we're supposed to like everyone. No, you're supposed to love everyone. <laughs> right? but, you know, we all have those relationships that create friction, those relationships that you, know, you hear their voice, and you're like, oh, they're coming. You know? It's like we all have those. But if you encourage them, if you celebrate them, if you lift them up, and you might be thinking, well, Chris, uh, can I encourage them and not really mean it? Like, is that right? Well, sometimes you have to fake it until you make it. Right? I know. Like, right now you're going, oh, man, he just went off his rocker. No, I'm serious. Sometimes. Right? God changes your heart as you do things, as you live it out. Try it. Jesus said, love your enemies. Like, love them. And there's going to be days you don't want to, so you love them. There's days where you might not feel like doing it, but you love them. And as you love them, guess what happens to your heart? It starts to change. It cannot not change. So guess what? When you encourage and celebrate and raise people up, starts changing your heart so that when you encounter this moment where you want to respond and maybe you feel justified in that response guess what it's going to be so much easier to push pause invite god in and say god how should i respond i know how i want to but how should i so today i'm going to pray we're going to be out of here in 30 seconds and guess what's going to happen sometime today i'm not a pessimist i'm not i'm a realist sometime today you're in an encounter situation where you're gonna re- want to respond to someone. And you're gonna feel just your humanness, want to respond, and you might feel justified in that response. My challenge for you is simply push pause, invite God into it. And when you do that and when you listen to God, you're gonna start to experience what it means to be meek. Controlled strength, showing so much restraint. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And uh I pray that uh I know you'll give us the, the strength to push pause. Lord, I pray that we just follow you in that moment. Follow you in that moment. In your name I pray, amen. God bless, have an amazing week.